does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. This morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Rick Carlisle going to join us coming up at 8 o'clock. Tony East going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Reminder for tomorrow, just a little extra promotion. Matt Painter going to be joining us at 9.30. Again, that's going to be tomorrow. Head coach there at Purdue will join us. be the first time since I've been on the show, three months or so. By the way, three months is coming up like tomorrow, I think. The 13th. Really? Yeah. I usually don't remember things like that, but given that my wife went into labor like two days ago. I was going to say, I, <laughs> like I just associate more with little gas turning three months. Oh, How goodness. excited is he about the Giants? Oh, he's just got to be so excited. Well, his grandparents are in town, so I haven't seen him for two days. You know, you just, you pass him off and you go, you know, you go live your life the way you used to live your life before, uh, before you had you, kids. You guys should do an early Halloween costume idea for next year where you are... Tommy DeVito's agent, and he is Tommy DeVito in like a onesie. That's a great point. It really is. I was going to say we dress him up like a cutlet. I didn't know exactly. Some chicken parm. I didn't know where that was going. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, let's see. Uh, Rick Carlisle are going to join us at 8 o'clock. Can I ask you this question with the Colts, and then I want to dive into some Benedict Mather and stuff, because everyone knows here uh, in the area that your love affair with Benedict Mather is real, and it's something that's got to be brought to FM radio. Um, I I just want to ask this with the Colts. You know, I never was a big gambler on horse racing, but I followed it just enough where I could talk about it, right? Horse racing when I did uh, sports radio in Louisville, Kentucky. And the reason I bring it up is when you gamble horses, you put a line through a bad result. So if there's, you know, if a horse has had six, seven races and one of them just like, what the heck happened on that one? You, it's called drawing a line through it, okay? That's what uh, degenerate gamblers at horse racing tracks and OTBs all around around the state do they draw a line Kevin Bowen through a particular performance and the reason I bring it up is we both feel that that was the biggest dud that the Colts have had all season we feel that way don't they I mean they didn't play well that second Jacksonville game they weren't good in that game but they had like if I kind of felt like they had chances where it's like okay they can get back into this game large parts of the second half against Cincinnati on Sunday we didn't feel that way I did not feel that way and it was Matt Gay was missing kicks and the offensive line wasn't good and Zach Moss was dropping passes and they couldn't get the ball down the field to Alec Pierce and all these different things things it was just you know they they didn't get to Jake Browning defensively ate up by screen passes uh from the Bengals so you know all of it you add it all together and it was just a nasty performance it was a dud type of a performance do we here allow ourselves is this team earned kind of I guess I could say the right and we mentioned this a little bit yesterday of where we can draw a line through that performance. Steichen yesterday was like, we just need to move on. We need to get ready for Pittsburgh yeah, short and move week. on. Yeah, uh-huh. Short week and everything else. Is that the right take to have? Or, you know, listening to to Coach Venturi and, and the guys there on the Colts roundtable, and they're like, there's serious issues right now running the football. And I know that's something you mentioned yesterday a lot. There's serious issues running the football. So I think some of the things Things we saw on Sunday, perhaps pass rush, uh, Matt Gay and the special teams as a whole being that bad. I think some of that stuff we can draw a line through and say we expect it to be better. It sure as hell better be better Saturday against Pittsburgh. And then there's other stuff like the running game that I'm legit worried about moving forward, especially without Jonathan Taylor. What do we do with that game? Do we leave it in the distance and now it's all about Saturday? Have the Colts earned that right to where we can just draw a line through a bad performance? I don't think they They've earned the right, but again, Andy, the benefit is I don't think Pittsburgh can expose you as much as Cincinnati just did. I just don't think Pittsburgh has the firepower. Andy, they're less than 20 points in four straight games. Uh, there's real chatter in Mike Tomlin's press conference yesterday of, are you going to give Mason Rudolph starting reps this week? You know, Jake Browning was, I mean, he just come off of a historic yeah. Monday night performance. I know. Mitch Trubisky just got booed off the field after every single drive last week at Heinz Field. And then again, if you take T.J. Watt... 
out of the mix for Sunday or for Saturday, you know, that is a just a huge, huge loss for a Pittsburgh team that has to have their playmaking defense, you know, all hands on deck, I think, to really make this an interesting game. So um, I think you can sit here and say the Colts have had some warts, plenty of warts on Sunday, the most of all season long. Uh, I think they've played with fire even in recent weeks, but I'm not sure if the competition can expose them to that. And and this is moving forward. I, you know, I'd say that even about Atlanta. I'd say that certainly about the Raiders just got shut out. Who knows what Houston's going to look like in a month to close out the year. So that's kind of where I'm at is, you know, Pittsburgh, they want to make it ugly. They need to make it ugly. They need a game that's 13-10, something like that. And Mika Fitzpatrick has a huge pick six and, you know, he's done it to this franchise before. You know, that's kind of what they need. So, uh, to answer it again, uh, there are some concerns you have exiting Sunday, but I'm not sure if they'll be magnified given the the opponent. I did think something that Shane Steichen kind of confirmed, which I talked about yesterday, is I think the run game right now, to me, it's two things. It's no respect for your passing game, loading the box, and to me, it's more of your offensive line and your ability to establish the line of scrimmage is not there. And Shane pretty much confirmed that yesterday. Of It is more trenches than anything. And you look at the Zach Moss numbers, again, Andy, it is astonishing. He has he had 13 carries on Sunday against one of, if not the worst run defense in the NFL. Nine of those 13 went for two yards or less. It's an amazing stat. To me, that is so much of an inability to establish a line of scrimmage, control the trenches, however you want to to describe it. Brainsmith's out. He's you know known as one of your better run graders. And I just thought Nelson and 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 Ryman and, and, and even Nelson. You know, I thought DJ Reader, BJ Hill, that interior for the Cincinnati D line, they controlled. You know, Nelson especially, and that just can't happen. Uh, yesterday, the clip you're talking about here, Shane Steichen talking about the running game. We got to be better in the trenches, you know, because you know Zach's obviously a great runner for us, and uh, you know it just wasn't our it wasn't our day yesterday, and we got to get it cleaned up. Um, going forward, because um, we know December football uh, is big. Obviously, this last stretch here, um, but we'll get it cleaned up. Um, make sure we're doing a heck of a job. Starting with myself, uh, putting these guys in position uh, to be successful on Saturday. So Zach Moss, the last two weeks, Andy, thirty-two carries, seventy-nine yards. It's that unbelievable. Two point five yards per carry. To be fair, Tennessee has a, a better run defense, but certainly. Cincinnati does not. Let's look at the four guys that were out ruled out for Sunday. Uh, that would be Jonathan Taylor. That would be obviously Juju Brents for the seventh straight week. Brain Smith and EJ Speed. Of those four, who do they miss the most? Oh boy! I, listen, I thought the corners were were not exposed that bad. I mean, Jamar Chase—they didn't allow him to go wild. Uh, I know T. Higgins had the one play down the field. Uh, he had two catches. Tyler Boyd had a nice first down catch early on in the game, but I, I didn't sit there and say, "Boy, those three guys just whipped him." Uh, I guess I would go EJ Speed there, right? You either have to go offensive line or EJ Speed, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd, pro- I, I'd probably go EJ Speed. I would go Speed. Again, I don't know if it was blatantly obvious to those watching or those watching the TV copy. I think there were some growing pain mistakes from Ronnie Harrison Jr. in a full-time linebacker role. I mean, this is a dude that wasn't even playing that position, what, a month ago? Never played it really in an NFL game to any significant standpoint with EJ Speed as the late scratch. And, and, and that too. I mean, EJ Speed practiced Friday. So there was some hope. There was some belief that he could play in the game. I thought he was going to play when I saw the practice report. And then, you know, he was ruled out on Saturday and Ronnie Harrison Jr., I thought, you know, yes, he has the pick six, but there were some plays early on, especially where he struggled. So, you know, when you look at those four, I mean, Taylor, obviously Pro Bowl talent, you know, Braden Smith, certainly one of your more indispensable Colts in, in past years. I'd probably go to EJ Speed. And, you know, if you look at Pittsburgh, the one thing that does stand out to me about Pittsburgh, Andy, they're not on Cincinnati level. But with Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, their other running backs had a really nice year. Pat, F- Pat Fryermuth is a pretty good tight end. You know, Deontay Johnson and George Pickens have certainly had flashes. They've also had some off the field stuff in their NFL careers. But they do have some playmakers that. We at least know. Oh, like, without this is a doubt. Not, without a doubt. You know, this is not Carolina's no. skill group this is or not New Adam England's Thielen. skill group. Right. Now, I don't think it's Cincinnati's, but if you let these guys touch the football, there is an ability to make some plays. So, I know I've talked about they haven't scored over 20 and four straight. 
Mason Rudolph chatter, maybe no TJ Watt. The level of worry is like they do have some guys, but Mitch Trubisky showed no ability to get it to those guys against. Uh, oh, it's got to be. That's New why England. these guys are frustrated. I mean, Deontay Johnson and George Pickens are looking at guys around the NFL. And they feel like their talent-wise is probably pretty damn far up the list. And they have absolutely no stats because of the offensive coordinator until he was fired in Matt Canada. And the just, the, I mean, shaky quarterback play would be nice. You know, Pickett was shaky, but he at least had positive moments. Mitch Trubisky is bad. I tell you what, if you're the Steelers and you're an NFL team, you're an NFL owner, you're a head coach. I want you to think about this, KB, and then I want to get back to something you mentioned and Shane Steichen mentioned about the Colts. If you are the Pittsburgh Steelers and you have watched the Browns, you have watched the Bengals, you have watched the Giants, you have watched, oh, let's see here, um, the Minnesota Vikings, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Will Levis, you know, who's the third quarterback essentially brought in this year, Tennessee. I mean, I hate to say Atlanta because the NFC South is so bad, but there's like seven or eight teams who have had to go to backup quarterbacks this year and have, have kept their season afloat in some sort of way. And so it used to be you put your backup quarterback in, you're the Steelers, and your offense looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, That's Cle- not the excuse any longer. Again, it's Cleveland, not. it's astonishing. Cleveland has won four games this year with four different starting quarterbacks. Right. I mean, that... Uh, th- what? Like, and they, and well, now Joe Flacco's their guy for the rest of the year. I mean, I was, how many teams start four different no, quarterbacks none, in a year, none. let alone win none. games? You would never play them. And obviously now they're sitting there at 8-5. and five. And that's why I think if you look at the standings, we can get more into this as the week moves along, Andy. I've almost kind of moved Cleveland into they're in the playoffs. And I know that might be a bit premature, but they're a game up on the Colts. They have that, the head-to-head tiebreaker. I've now kind of thought, all right, they have a wild-card spot. Now it's six teams at 7-6 and six for two spots. And we'll, again, take a closer look at this as we move along. I, I, I do want to mention something on Benedict Matherin before we get to Rick Carlisle coming up here uh, in about 15 minutes. Um, to me, that was his best game of his career last night, and it's exactly what the Pacers are hoping, wanting for out of him here in year two. We know this kid can score at a really high level in the NBA. I think there's little doubting that. Last night, it was typical Matherin doing a little bit of everything from a scoring standpoint. Uh, he attacked the rim like no other, um, hit you know, a few jump shots. Yeah, that can be a bit streaky, uh, but then he got to the foul line, especially in the second half there. But it's the eight assists and the two turnovers, Andy, that stands out more than anything. Of This guy draws so much attention as a driver and as a scorer that naturally there's going to be some plays to be made off the ball. And his ability to just make a simple pass or two, it can lead to some of the assists that you saw last night. And, you know, it, it, there was all this chatter yesterday. Okay, okay how are the Pacers going to react? Is there going to be a Vegas hangover? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, one guy that I know that will not be hungover from Vegas is Mather. Mather is crazy. What If you watch the <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson postgame press conference, you would have thought Mather and scored three points on two of 17 <laughs> shooting. Like, this dude is... It, uh, you can make the argument he might be too crazy, honestly. But he is always just so locked in. Again, you could make the argument maybe it's too, too much. Um, And last night, to me, that is the best game of his career. And that's the question that you have of what can he do from a developmental period? He is 21 and a half years old. That is still really, really young. Can he ascend? Can he grow to being some sort of sidekick to Tyrese Halliburton. And if he can be that, which we are still a long ways away from even saying that with a ton of confidence, but last night was certainly one of those few moments he's had where you feel that way, all of a sudden this can totally shift where things go moving forward for this franchise. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, That has been the analysis, and that's been the question since the beginning of the season. How different do you feel as a guy who likes Benedict Matherin, about that before the season and where we sit right now on December 12th going into the third matchup against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I I think it's been an awkward start to the year. You know, he begins it in the starting lineup, then he kind of gets pulled, and there are some moments that I think, and again, by all accounts, he absorbs coaching very well, and he wants to be coached, and I think Rick Carlisle has coached him pretty darn hard, and, you know, I think Rick thinks it 
Ben likes that, and 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 Ben can kind of handle that. But I've just kind of been confused exactly. Okay, what is the role? Are are, are you back to kind of the six man, uh, be the lead guy with that second unit? Um, is he ever? Is there any sort of? To me, being a decently high level passer, having the skill as a passer. I think a lot of that is kind of innate. I think I think it's hard to kind of teach somebody to really be a distributor or to be a passer like that. But they're trying to teach that into him. And you watch him last night and you think, man, maybe there is something the there. The pass to Jackson was nice. The little left-hand wraparound pass. Tr- I mean, they're yeah. a highlight real passes yeah, he from three or four nice last passes. night. But there's also just simple plays, Andy. There's just simply a, hey, man, you've got two running at you. Uh, you throw it into Isaiah Jackson, who's got a 6'4 dude on him. That is the higher percentage play. And when you make that, all of a sudden you add it up at the end of the night and you're like, wait, that's two points off a nice pass right there. And like Tyrese Halliburton, not all of the 15 assists last night are these flashy no look between the legs, you know, half court alley-oops to Obi, Obi Toppin. So um, that was huge from Matherin last night. I think it was much needed, much needed for the team and overcoming 18 turnovers and much needed for him. Now, obviously, repeated performances have got to be there. Um, but this is such a big storyline to this season that we can't lose sight of. It's not at the Anthony Richardson level storyline for the Colts, but Matherin is kind of like the Bernard Ryman or the Quiddy Pay to the future of the Pacers in that he is an important, important sidekick, top 10 pick, rookie contract. So financially, you feel very good about it. Obviously, had one of the best rookie seasons this franchise has ever seen. If he does grow as a player, now all of a sudden... As a small market team, you've drafted a guy that a lot of teams would really, really right. like to have. Right. Yeah, you you've you've drafted a guy and then, you know, other guys on the team that end up playing well, and then you traded and got an absolute superstar in Tyrese Halliburton. You mentioned repeat performances. I'll go back to November eighth and ninth. If you remember with those games, that's when they beat Utah at home and then uh, and then beat Milwaukee at home the first time around when Giannis had fifty four. Yeah, he had points. a big scoring night against and, the, and, against and, the Bucks, yeah, right? Both of those games against Utah, he had twenty two points, nine rebounds, four assists, and then the next night against Milwaukee, 26 points, only two assists, but 11 rebounds, and I remember those two games, KB, because we immediately said, okay, are these, is this, you know, you may not get that line, you may not get 26 and 11 or 22, 9 and 4, but are these lines now going to be what we see more of? And if you remember, they then went to Philly on that uh, Thursday, Saturday, you know, not back to back because you have the day off in the middle. Tyrese Maxey was great in that first game. He had nine points, didn't matter. The next night he had uh, eight points and they lost to Orlando and he had 14 points. And the reason I bring it up is it's the up and down, but that's what that's what they're probably trying to eliminate, right? Is is hey, you just had a nice game. I mean, last night he was fantastic. Okay, the next game's against Milwaukee. We need to see more than seven points and two rebounds. Right. And it, that's the fight right now with a young player like this. Again, you go back to Saturday, he did have 20 points against the Lakers yeah, in the in-season championship. While your veterans, alongside Tyrese Halliburton in the starting lineup, were struggling mightily, you know, Matherin, along with several bench guys, to be fair, they really showed that, that those bright lights were not too bright for them. But it's the eight assists to two turnovers last night. That's what stands out to me, Andy, is... If he can get to, you know, 14, 16 points a night, but four assists, five assists, that to me is huge. Not, you know, that all of a sudden I think opens up so much of his playmaking ability and kind of rounds out his game. And, you know, he's one of the, I think, few guys internally on this roster that you think there's this really, really high ceiling there for. Agreed. There are a lot Agreed. of nice pieces, but no one I think has a ceiling like Matherin has. And that's why Carl Athic has coached him. As hard as we as we see, I am stuck with Matherin in in not knowing kind of how to feel. Does that make sense? Like I'm stuck with. Yeah, I understand he's a bit of an enigma. Yeah, I understand the upside. I understand the excitement. I understand rookie deal, top ten pick, be the be the Robin to the Batman, whatever it may be. I understand all that, and I see it. And then other times you don't see it, and then you scold yourself because you're like, "Yo, this guy's in year number two. He's had to change a lot from." year one to year two. They're coaching him hard. They're asking him to do, to do different things. 
and he is still such a young guy and such a young player. He's two and a half years younger than yeah, Trace Jackson we, Davis. We, we want we we want it now. We're not going to get it now, but we also don't know exactly what his ceiling is. There's a lot of guys that average 15, 16 points in the NBA. He can do that, but is he is he that next level of player? We're just going to have to wait around, and that's that's the that's the frustrating thing and the exciting thing all in one. That's why he's difficult to figure. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're out. Rick Carlisle joins us. Tuesday, hanging out with you here. Wake Up Called and broadcasting live from the DriveHubler.com studios. You miss any of the show, you can catch it on the Podcast Center, 1075thefan.com. Reminder, Tony East going to join us coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Well, let's get right to him. It's a Tuesday in the 8 o'clock hour. You know what that means. Head coach of the Indiana Pacers, Rick Carlisle, joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good morning. How are you today, sir? Hey, what's happening? Uh, well, not much. Uh, enjoying your game last night, enjoying the run there in Vegas, and uh, getting ready for a lot of basketball and football this weekend. We appreciate you joining us here uh, on the Wake Up Call. I guess let's start here, Coach, if you don't mind. Uh, before we get to last night and looking forward to the Bucks and other games, uh, what do you think you learned about your team there going to Vegas, taking uh, so seriously the in-season tournament? I know it did not end in losing to the Lakers the way that that you wanted it, but what did you learn, do you think, about your young team? And then what did you make of the uh, the attention, the experience, the exposure that your team and a guy like Tyrese Halliburton got along the way as well? Yeah, um, you know, what I, what I learned is that uh, we're a young team that is uh, gaining experience um, that is gaining moxie. That is, is is has shown the ability that uh, that we can get on a run and and win some games against difficult opponents. Where we we've shown that we're opportunistic, um, and we've shown that uh, you know we're, we're resourceful and we can find a way to win games. Um, you know, the starting with the quarterfinals last week against Boston which was, you know, a week ago, I guess it's yesterday now, um, that environment at GameBridge was uh, not unlike, you know, a conference finals game um, in GameBridge or the old Conseco, you know, on a, on a, on a Memorial Day um, after the Indy 500. I mean, you know, it was, it, it felt like that. And our crowd really, um, I mean, they pushed our team you know, to be able to, you know, overcome a halftime deficit, um, find a way to hang in. And then, uh, you know, the energy in the building just, just got us over the top. And then, you know, we get to Vegas and then, you know, it's another tough game against, uh, against Milwaukee and it's, and it's back and forth, you know, it's a halftime lead. And then they come out and put 43 points on us in the third quarter. And, you know, things could have really gone south, but we, uh, it was a bend, not break, Type situation. Um, you know, we we hung in there and, and found a way to win that. And then the, the game against the Lakers was disappointing. Um, their two stars played, you know, at a, at a at a very very high level, and we just didn't have our best day. And then coming off that, you know, we had a murderous travel day on uh, on Sunday. Um, you know, coming back against the time zones, all this, and and you know. Playing last night against against a team that that had lost 19 games in a row, and you know just a really really challenging situation. But our guys showed uh, you know amazing resolve, uh, really really good growth and maturity, and we just put our head down and they and they found a way to you know 
come up with a professional type win. And so it's been a really terrific week and, and we want to obviously, uh, you know, keep this thing going tomorrow, um, you know, on the road against Milwaukee and it'll, that, that'll be another tough one. I do want to get to last night in just a second, Coach, but while we're on Vegas, going back to whether it was the quarterfinal game last Monday or the Milwaukee and Lakers games, you know, how would you say the scouting attention, the intensity level, uh, even the environments, albeit on a neutral floor, compared to what you've been used to in your career come April and May in those seven-game playoff series? Yeah, the, um, the environment in Vegas was uh, was unusual because it's a it's a neutral court and you know the the Milwaukee game um, was quite different than the final game uh, you know the final game was essentially a Lakers home game you know because of the proximity um, you know the the popularity of the Lakers franchise gets gets all the uh, gets all the Laker fans out and uh, and that kind of stuff you know but I think one of the really really cool moments in the, the game on Saturday against LA was when the entire building starts chanting, let's go Pacers. I mean, it was, <laughs> it had to be, you had to be able to hear it on TV and we, we had been down and our guys just kept fighting, kept fighting, kept fighting. They just, they, you know, they show the resilience that they've shown the entire tournament and the crowd completely flipped and I don't know who started chanting it, but the whole building got going and it, it, it had to be a really cool moment uh, for our players because as you, as you elevate, you know, your, your status as a team that can, you know, be a playoff contending team to a team that can be a, a perennial playoff team to a team that, you know, each year is, is a team that advances you get to these, these these higher level stages, you know, whether it's conference finals or finals, um, it, it's different. And particularly when you get to the NBA finals, I mean, the, the stage is, is so different. You know, now you have practices where you're required to have, you know, three or 400 media people worldwide um, in, in your practice, watching your, your preparation for 30 minutes. It's just, it's just mandated. And so, that stage creates, you know, a physiological feeling um, that you have to go through to understand. Uh, it, it's a combination of excitement, nerves, pressure, you know, wh- whatever you want to call it. And what you have to learn is how to how to make those moments um, your friend. And you know what it means when you, you know, your sleep patterns change a little, your your saliva tastes a little different, all that kind of stuff. And our guys, you know, did a great job with it. And we didn't play our best game uh, against the Lakers, but but we competed very well. And you know, it, it bodes well for the future of the team. He's Rick Carlisle, fresh off of a victory in Detroit last night, thirteen and eight now on the year. Uh, in my opinion, Coach, I thought the in-season tournament was a roaring, roaring success. Uh, any tweaks that you think the NBA should make as they look ahead to year two coming up next year? Well, the, I'm sure they'll look at a few things. I mean, <laughs> if you want to nitpick the thing, um, you know, one of one of the the built-in um, things that is is going to happen is if you get yourself to the quarterfinals, you're you're buying yourself one or two way more difficult games on your schedule. I mean, there's just no way, no two ways about it. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna end up playing Boston, I think, five times, and we're gonna end up playing Milwaukee five times. And um, you know, if you're want to if you want to make arguments about things, um, <laughs> you know. Losing in group play will buy you two more easier games, likely when when the rescheduling comes comes in the week during the the week where there are no games scheduled. You know, for us, it was it was great to play um, harder games. I mean, that's what that's what we need. Um, but that's one thing that is kind of a fact of life with it. Um, you know, the other thing is uh, the, the the differential um, part of it, and. I don't really think that there's much that they can do about it. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have a thing where it's going to be solely based on four, four pool games, and there's a pretty good likelihood that you're going to have a couple of teams that 
go three and one or a couple teams that um, go go four and zero oh as you as you move to the quarters. Um, you know, you're going to have to find a way to break ties. And you know, when when I was when I was on the competition committee for several years in a row, it was at the end of David Stern's run as commissioner in the beginning of Adams. I, you know, I was, I was, I was involved with it, you know, with both commissioners and they both sat in on these meetings. You know, David was always, was always looking for a way to give a nod to the FIBA game. Um, and there was talk about uh, making the live ball on the rim um, rule, the FIBA rule, um, you know, an NBA rule. It, it, it never passed for some different reasons, but the differential to me is 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 you know an obvious way to give a nod to the FIBA game. It's it can be a little bit dicey and a little bit ugly if you want to, uh, like I said, if you want to nitpick it. But um, it did the job, and uh, so I don't see a whole lot changing next year, um, <laughs> unless you know they change the name of it because some sponsor buys it for a billion dollars or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I, I mean, listen. I thought it was a great success. I know some people whined about the 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 point differential, but there's not much you can do. You have to pick winners to move on, and and you guys did. Uh, you guys did such a great job. I know it didn't end the way uh, that you thought, but a great experience for a young team. Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Benedict Mather, and we've been talking about him this morning, even last night, Coach. You said perhaps the best game he's had in a Pacers uniform, and we've kind of had that rhetoric a couple different times after some of his games early on this season besides the scoring and again I feel like I know what your answer is going to be but I'll ask it anyway uh, besides the 30 points last night what did you like that Benedict did on the court well I'm going to give you a different answer than you're expecting okay and that is that is that he's he's really he's really earning um the opportunity to be on the floor for longer stints um he's he's earning the opportunity to, to finish games with uh, hard inspired play, you know, all around. I mean, his defense has taken a, a, a real jump. Um, his on ball defense, his ability to bust over pick and rolls, uh, those kinds of things. Look, I know he can score. Um, you know, I don't want to hear about, you know, his, his scoring. I mean, what he needs to do for us is to become uh, a true two way player, uh, a high level two way player uh, in this game at both ends of the court. It was really interesting last night just watching the competition between him and Jaden Ivey. You know, they went five and six in the draft respectively last year. And and we're seeing a lot of this where guys that go uh, close close together uh, in the draft when they match up with different teams around the league, you know, it, it gets it gets into some really inspired competition. And that, that was great to see. But, you know, the, the word or if there's a phrase that, that I think is most important for our team this year. It's uh, a two-word term, and that is "earn it." And he is—he uh, has earned—he earned the right to be on the court for whatever it was, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five minutes last night. I mean, we, we just couldn't get him off the court because of how he's competing at both ends. Yeah, I was going to say, it seemed like he almost played every minute there in the second half once you put him back in uh, in the third quarter. What's been, and again, Rick Carlisle with us here, Pacers now 13-8 and eight on the year. What's been maybe harder for Ben to kind of fully grasp? That growth needed defensively or as more of a, hey, facilitator, make the extra pass, you know, you can get a high assist number with just making a few more simple passes? Well, he's developing more and more um feel for the game for the feel for the offensive game and 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 what that means is you know the ball he's 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 moving the ball more more freely and more kind of on time you know in in the rhythm of the game um he's he's giving it up more freely knowing that um you know, if you the more you give the more you will receive and the ball will come back to you and one, one of the things that's very it's a very that's a very big challenge in today's game is to to sell um, today's player on you know what I what I call you know old school motion basketball you know it's it's really it's really what made Bob Knight's teams um, very unique is that he taught a style where um, 
you know, the coach was, was basically uh, giving up control of the game. You know, um, Coach Knight didn't call many, many plays. He, he, but he taught his players how to play the game, how to make plays and not call plays. And so, you know, one, one of the things that, that, I, that was obvious to me when we got Tyrese was that we needed to play fast. And when you get into these more meaningful games, you know, where you, where you earn the right, to to play in these high level games, being able to play with pace, movement, flow, without play calls, being able to, um, you know, have a team understand how the ball how the ball needs to move randomly and how how it makes it very difficult for the defense to guard you, uh, flies in the face of today's so, social media environment, <laughs> you know of. Of uh, of highlights and and everybody wanting to make plays that embarrass their opponents and stuff like that. I mean, playing playing a pure version of the game um, is 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 our best formula for success offensively because it it creates the best high level of great shots and it helps us set our defense. And so, you know, we're getting it more and more. Um, you know, I pulled a bunch of clips from last night's game where. You know, we had we had some some really great examples of it, um, but it's but it's not easy in today's game. Everybody wants to hold the ball, everybody wants to dribble the ball, and everybody wants to feel the ball. And so, um, I'm proud of our guys that we're making progress in that way, and it, it's it, it's helping us. It's it, it particularly helped us in the last week when when these games reached a higher level of competition. Rick Carlisle with us here Tuesday morning on the fan. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. It's something uh, I've obviously noticed, fans have noticed, and you talked a lot about this last night, Coach, and that is the different defenses. Tyrese Halliburton is seeing uh, now more attention, the box in one. You guys have seen even a little zone against you, doubling him, trying to get the ball out of his hands. Uh, how have you coached that, knowing that Tyrese is going to see some different looks? And I guess, what do you make of what teams are doing to try to stop him in these games? Well, we're going to see more of that, uh, obviously, because of his influence on the game. But I, I really it just I, I end up going back to the same answer. Um, you know, you, 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 can, you can set up situations to, um, you know, try to, try to manipulate the blitz and put guys in, in position to play four on three on the backside of blitzes, you know, bait, bait bait two defenders out to half court, move the ball, um, you know, or, or you can, or, or you can have a guy like Tyrese, you know, freely get off the ball, move, have him get it back off movement. And then, then things are unpredictable. And then it's a, it's a hell of a lot harder to blitz him and, and double team him. So it, it's kind of, I, I mean, I, you know, I end up giving you kind of the same answer and this is, this is this is where you know understanding what wins in the NBA ultimately is is important. You know, teams that can play a selfless, high-paced, flowing game on offense and have a possession mentality defensively are teams that win championships every single year. Um, you know, I was on a team in Boston in '86 where we did it. Um, you know, I coached a team in 2011 where we did it and. You know that's the goal. That's that's the culture that we're that we're trying to develop. Um, defensively, we're making we're making some strides, but uh, but it, but that's that's a greater challenge. Offensively, you know, we're by far the best team on the planet, and you know we want to maintain our identity, but but still keep working on the aspect of getting stops. And you know, last night we got we got enough stops to score in the 130s again, and you know we're 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 striving to consistently, you know, keep teams under 120, and then we'll work at 115, and 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 go from there. But, um, but that's that's the mentality that we we've got to develop, and we're seeing examples of of how we're capable. Coach, last one for me. Obviously, you guys flew out to Vegas. I think it was last Tuesday, and then you will be on the road um, at Milwaukee tomorrow night. Nation's Capital Friday, and then against the best team in the West coming up, Minnesota, back-to-back Saturday. I know the NBA schedule has kind of evolved over the years. Have you ever had a road trip this long? I mean, we're, we're, we're looking like 11 or 12 days. Yeah, I think so. I think we had one that was two weeks 
close to two weeks last year, but but never one where you get on a plane, you know, uncertain whether you're going to play one game or seven, right? <laughs> you know, which is, right. which is what happened, you know, and and so, you know, I mean, I I packed an extra bag, um, and you you've got to be you've got to be positive about it. But I'll, t- I'll tell you guys this, and this is this is uh, um. This is interesting. So, you know, uh, as we approached our last Monday game against Boston, um, <laughs> you know, the games were rescheduled during that week. So, obviously, we, we earned the Monday game at home. So, you know, had we lost, um, the next question was, you know, the other rescheduled day was, was Friday. And so we were going to play the loser of uh, Milwaukee, New York, um, on their home floor. Well, the problem was that uh, New York had something scheduled that, <laughs> for whatever reason, they were they were allowed not to reschedule. And so, had we won, ha- had we lost against Boston, um, and just stay with me for a second. So we played our game Monday and, you know, New York and in Milwaukee played on Tuesday. Had we lost and, um, let me get this straight. And, and New York lost, which they did. Um, we were going to have to play on Wednesday night in New York. Now in New York would have had to play a back to back Tuesday, Wednesday. We, we would have had to, travel to New York on Tuesday and get there, um, you know, 18 hours before they played or, you know, uh, to, to, to have an advantage of, of waiting on them. Um, now they, they were put in a disadvantage too, but on Tuesday morning we were leaving at 11 AM either for New York or Vegas. And, you know, so what happened was, New York ended up losing, so and we ended up winning, so we went to Vegas. But had we lost and New York lost, we would have played uh, Wednesday in New York. <laughs> and and had it gone the other way, uh, and we had lost, and uh, and and Milwaukee had lost, we would have stayed over in New York two nights. Uh, we turned it into a plus one trip that players and, and everybody in the travel party could bring a significant other. And we would have had two days in New York around Christmas time. Then we would have flown to Milwaukee on Thursday night and played Friday. So the, <laughs> the moral of the story and the end of the story is that all's well that ends well because the Pacers won and, you know, we ended up going to Vegas. So it was, it was a moot point, but there were some, some machinations behind the scene that were scenes that were very challenging <laughs> that would have created one of the oddest contingency trips in the history of the league. And obviously we're very glad we avoided it. Yeah. It kind of gets me thinking back to those COVID, you know, trips of like, you have to be in the town the night before <laughs> the game. You can't travel, you know, obviously well, morning of or day of the well, game. I was going to say also coach, those are two different wardrobes that you wear in 20 degree weather, at the Rockefeller center or out in the dry heat of Las Vegas, where it's still in the nineties or eighties. I would imagine those are, those are two different wardrobes. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. And so, but you know, it, it was it was another it was another lesson I think that the league learned and that all the teams learned about about the in season tournament. And, and look, if, if you look at the if you look at the scheduling of games, <laughs> you know, if you if you really want to play that game, you know, look at the teams that did not play last night um, in the league and. A lot of them were teams that I think the league believes were probably going to be in the finals or have a chance to be in the finals. They they certainly weren't predicting that the Pacers were going to be there, and so you know we we disrupted some things, which is which is great for our guys. Um, you know we're a, we're a, we're a small market team that is looking to climb the ladder, and we are looking to to disrupt. And so uh, I'm I'm proud of what. Um, our guys were able to accomplish, and I'm, in many ways, even more proud of of how we approached last night's game. I mean, this thing was set up 
you know, every way possible for a letdown. And, um, you know, Tyrese was a great leader last night. He was a great leader in our meeting yesterday. Miles Turner, the same. Um, Bruce Brown, the same. TJ, Buddy. And, and, and our veterans, you know, they, they really set a tone last night and did not allow us to lose that game. So I'm, I'm very happy for them, very proud of them. Did you see the sphere in Vegas by chance? <laughs> well, funny you should mention that. So on Wednesday night, uh, we got out there on Tuesday. Um, Wednesday night, um, Kevin Pritchard got us got got a few of us uh, tickets to U two at the Sphere. Oh wow! And, Damn. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, you know, I I didn't I didn't talk about this at the time, but. Um, if you want an inspirational experience, you know, and, and you're a, you're a YouTube fan, which, you know, I, not many people that like rock and roll are not fans of YouTube. I mean, this was an absolutely unbelievable experience in the sphere. Just, just, just to see it's, it's, it's like almost impossible to explain it over the phone. I mean, you, you visually would have to see it. Um, but the sound was amazing. Obviously, they their shows are always amazing. The stage is set up on one side of this whole bubble, and the entire the entire wall of the bubble, all the way up to the ceiling, is 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 a video screen that is beyond high definition, and so it just creates this this visual and, and audio uh, experience that is unlike anything I've ever seen. And so uh, that was amazing. I didn't stay for the whole concert, but I stayed enough of it to really, to really appreciate, um, you know, uh, the way that they perform number one and, and number two. I mean, <laughs> the way that this building was put together and, and the technology is just, it's just beyond off the charts. How about that, I that's don't know amazing. What, yeah. What's a better night that, or than <laughs> what you guys night. did the next night and uh, taking that Milwaukee punch in the third quarter and punching right back to go to the championship game of the end season tournament, Coach? I uh, yeah, it was the uh, Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would imagine so, <laughs> Coach. I texted you last week. It, it was a fun, fun run. I think a lot of people here locally. Um, it's been pretty impressive to see how much they've enjoyed that and uh, looking forward to the rest of the season. Congrats on the win last night. Safe travels the rest of this week, and uh, look forward to uh, chatting with you next Tuesday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right. Take care, guys. Ah, been a fun morning. Been a fun Tuesday here. Wake up call KB and Andy. Kevin Bowen, Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton, who was at, at Urgent Care for 10 hours yesterday. Tora it all. Tora it all. Tora it all. He feels like an NFL player. Uh, you know, after Mark's, the game. Mark's like, this thing works like He's like, incredible. No, no uh, wonder like said, they I, can go I, out there and I think I play. texted Kevin, I could have a broken leg and run a mini marathon right now. The way I felt. Oh, good. you like, run a four-minute mile. Would that be mile. smart to get that over the counter or probably not? I don't know. I, I wish they offered it. I would have taken some. <laughs> it sounds like a no. I'll just go ahead and protect the masses uh, and say a no. Again, reminder, Miss A in the show. We had Rick Carlisle on early 8 o'clock hour, 107.5thefan.com. To keep the Pacer conversation going, Tony East joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Sports Illustrated, locked on Pacers. Tony, good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, Carlisle. Good morning. Good we will restart, right? Yeah, we'll have to. We needed a mulligan at the start of the show today, That's, and we need a mulligan do, with Tony do, East right do, there. Tony, do you have a landline that we can call? <laughs> I'm gonna go. When is the last time you've used a landline? <laughs> I was trying to think. Well, I was I was thinking a hotel probably. Eight four six one two two seven. That was my landline growing up. Oh, look at you! 
I have no idea what mine was. And I, how do you remember that? I, yeah, who cares? I didn't get a cell phone until pretty late, so I was calling oh, my you were, friends. You were a late from, bloomer on the old cell phone. From the landline. What's there? the age now where you uh, oh, give the God, cell phone? I don't want to know. I feel like you get to like 11 years old, 12 years old, and now an iPhone needs to be gifted. You still got a little while. Mark might be a little different story. I have a long ways. I'm going to need uh, another hair get procedure, I think, if, <laughs> if that's going to get in here. Like, right, you, 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 want, you want to restart this whole thing? No, we can. Tony East joins oh, wait, us. Let's just start the whole thing all over. There we go. Oh, wow. We're going full mulligan. It's the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Pretend that first two minutes didn't happen. Now, Tony said something about Rick Carlisle, right? I heard Carlisle, and uh, that's about it. Tony East joining us here. Pay Less Liquors Hotline, Locked On Pacers, and Sports Illustrated. Tony, good morning. What did you say about Rick Carlisle? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> It's just funny to be on right after him. It's uh, it's quite the intimidating uh, follow up. I gotta <laughs> gotta say. Well, well, we we try to intimidate I, around here. I That's hope what you we enjoy do. those segments, Tony East. I do. I enjoy everything you do, Kevin Bowen. Well, no, I, I, the ego does not need to be fed like that. How would you describe Rick Carlisle from a media standpoint? Like, I think Shane Sykin, for as good of a head coach he is, I think he's just as bad in in media settings. I do not feel that way about Rick Carlisle at all. No, Rick is great. Rick loves to entertain a little bit at times. He's always very thoughtful with what you're asking and why you might be asking it. And I, I, I really enjoy talking to him. He's, he's, got a, he's always got something interesting to say. So I've teased this several times, and obviously we want to get to last night and your experience in Vegas, um, et cetera. I guess I could be taken in a lot of ways. Uh, but I do want to start here. I want to go back to what Adrian Wojnarowski said. I don't know. Maybe this is the juicy headline from it, but... Um, Adrian Wojnarowski mentioned two names that the Pacers have, and I hope I'm not misquoting here, but to paraphrase, have pursued in some manner uh, here recently. That would be OG Ananobi. That would be Pascal Siakam. Obviously, both play for the Raptors. If you just talk strictly fit, don't even talk price tag, Tony East, who would make more sense for the Pacers, Siakam or Ananobi? Yeah, I think I'm actually in the minority on that answer when I would say Siakam. Um, Not necessarily because like long-term Ananobi might be the answer. He's younger, uh, which is a, a, a key part of that, and his defensive capabilities are obviously fantastic. I just have always thought that this Pacers team needs a second guy that can create a little bit. Like, as good as great as Halliburton is, there are times when, like last night, <laughs> where he's not having it. And when he's off the floor, I thought I've always thought they needed a little more juice with, with handles or – someone who's able to just put it on the floor and be a consistent offensive threat. And Siakam fits so great with the way they play. So right now, and this season specifically, and as they're trending, Siakam, I think, is the answer. He's fantastic. He would give them a punch on both ends that they need. But he's older. Uh, he's in his 30s. And so long term, I think, Ananobi could be the answer just because if they were to acquire him uh, and resign him because both those guys are on expiring contracts – he would be, you know, valuable and in his prime potentially for the Pacers for the next half decade or so. So it depends on what their goals are in said trade. If it's to get better right now and figure out some stuff later, and it's like a Paul Millsap to the Nuggets acquisition, maybe I'd say Siakam. But if it's to build their team for the all lifespan of Halliburton's current contract, uh, then maybe I would say Ananobi. Would Siakam cost more? You think? Uh, I actually think it'd be about the same. Sorry, my microphone's going crazy. I'm trying to stop that. Um, I think that it'd be pretty similar just because they're both at the end of their contracts right now. Siakam isn't having the greatest season. It's tough, though. The Raptors always put weird prices on guys, and no one really ever knows what they're up to. Uh, I think it's probably pretty close on both, although probably a little higher for Siakam, yeah. Tony East with us. Uh, what was in the microwave? What were you microwaving this morning at 9.06 a.m.? The uh, meal prepped breakfast burrito for the whole week. You got to get ready, but I was... Oh, okay. I, uh, I, oh. <laughs> What's in that, if you don't oh, mind okay. me You have a little egg, bacon, cheese, or sour cream, maybe? You, yeah. Oh, no sour cream. You got all the rest, but uh, yes, I... <laughs> Now all of a sudden I'm I'm hungry. Oh, dude, I love a good breakfast burrito. I haven't had one in years. You I gotta be done honest. the mayo coffee after Will Levis's effort last night. Yeah. Today. Oh, that is gross. That can't be real, right? 
Well, yeah, it's real. We did it uh, last yeah, week. It was, yeah. trust me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he made himself popular doing Just it. Just ask the plumbing here. Yeah, it, it is. It real. wasn't good. KB yeah. did run to the bathroom during a break. Uh, Tony East with us. Do you think they will make a substantial move this season? Do you think they should make a substantial move this season? I think they'll try to get better this season, but I don't know if that necessarily lends to giant substantial right the second move it's still so interesting to me the spot they're in like clearly they're good right 13 and 8 is 13 and 8 clearly Tyrese Halberton is one of the best 10 players in the NBA and that alone makes going for it every season he's on the team valuable and like worth doing they're already you know better than maybe even they thought they would be right now so that alone means yeah if you if they go for upgrades that makes a lot of sense but I still think, and they know this, right? They said before the season, long-term is still part of their thinking with this team. Halberd's under contract for six more years. That is a long time in the NBA. And, yes, you always have to be careful about, you know, counting your eggs before they hatch in this league. But with that much time, if you can correctly identify your talent, build up the right way, then make the substantial trade at the right time, which it's never easy to have guys be available at the right time. But that is, in theory, the more fruitful strategy. So, yeah, if the right player is available before February, yes, they should obviously go for a substantial upgrade. But to me, like this year, if they're, if they're a playoff team, yes, being a buyer is smart and getting better is smart. But is it the year for the swing? Uh, it depends on who's available and what their prices are because they have a long time to really make that happen and – you know, throwing in the assets too early could, in theory, limit their ceiling in the future. So, to me, it just depends on what's available for them. And, obviously, their January schedule is so brutal if they keep up this strong run of play they've had to start the year. He is the great Tony East. You can listen to him locked on Pacers, SI.com, for a written work. Great, great coverage of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, Tony, I thought last night was the best game of Benedict Matherin's career. Uh, what yeah. struck you in particular about what Matherin showed last night? No doubt, I agree 100%. And I thought that he might have a good game on his first touch of the night, right? He caught it on the left wing. He immediately whipped the ball into Isaiah Jackson for a layup. And my thing for him all season has been a big part of his growth is going to be making his decision and play faster, right? Like, he's very good when he can catch and, and face up and figure out what he wants to do. But the way the Pacers play is going to require him to make decisions fast, whatever it is, pass, shoot dribble, put it on the floor, right? The, the Greg Popovich .5 second rule. That's a big thing for him and, and his growth with this team. And last night he did everything Ben Matherin does well and the things he needs to get better at while also doing them right away, right? He had three assists in like four minutes after checking into the game. He had a career high in assists and matched to, I think matched his career high in the first half or maybe it was one off. But he also did that while still being Ben Matherin, getting to the foul line a bunch of times, hitting shots from all over the floor, fighting for rebounds like he's a good rebounder for a guard. Everything they would want him to be and grow into, he did last night, and he did it just right, right when he would catch the ball, he'd make those decisions. Like the lefty pass he had into Isaiah Jackson in the third quarter was maybe the best pass of his career. It was so good that, you know, I think everybody's seen the video now. Halliburton walked up to him and <laughs> covered one of the zeros on his jersey to insinuate it was a Halliburton-level pass. Like it was – it was phenomenal. So, yes, I agree. I think that was the best game he's ever played, and they kind of needed it. Last night he was far and away their best guy. I was thinking of you, Kevin, during the game. I was wondering if the statue tweets would return uh, with a performance like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it did. I had one there mid-third quarter. I honestly think it was after the left-handed uh, pass, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think the facilitating is what stood out to me. And, and you know, Tony, yeah. there, there were the highlight reel passes. But I just also thought there were a couple of simple – extra passes where the feel and the read from him looked like other players on this team. He is incredibly gifted in many areas. I don't think he's got great feel compared to others. I don't know if you can coach that, but last night, I think if you just watched it, you saw some of those moments. Uh, agreed. And, you know, something you can tell with him sometimes is like, if he knows what, like, like the play calls for him, for example, so like the design of a play is for him to have an advantage right when he catches. Well, then he knows that he's supposed to attack when he gets it and he goes right away and he looks more threatening, right? So like searing that into his brain on like every catch he makes is very hard. It's not like instructive or intuitive, which goes to your feel thing. But you could see last night, like sometimes when he would catch, even if the play wasn't for him, he would attack. Or sometimes if it was a play was for him and he realized before he caught it, 
that it wasn't there, he would give it right back up or keep it moving and pop it. And like, that is very significant to me for his growth with feel. If, if you can even, you know, grow that in a player and just in general, how he's going to fit on this team that just flings the ball around like crazy. And so on a night when, you know, they, they were turning it over more than normal. Halberton didn't really look like Halberton until the fourth quarter. They needed somebody to be that guy. And Matherin was, all that and more last night. He was terrific. Yeah, on the left-handed pass down to uh, Isaiah Jackson, Buckner kind of yelped as it was getting ready to happen. <laughs> KB, did you make a noise, an audible noise, yeah, uh-huh. a screech, a yeah. yelp, whatever it Quinn may be? Quinn and I had a similar noise there. <laughs> I figured uh-huh. that would be the yeah, case. Tony East with us here. Payless Liquors Hotline on this Tuesday on The Fan. Uh, I just want to go back big picture. I mean, you've been following this team now, Tony, for a number of years. And, and you know, you just look at it. You know, We were talking about this on the show earlier today you know one thing that they did is I think a lot of people found out about like who the Pacers are like they found out about this young team and Tyrese Halliburton the in-season tournament and some of these marquee games were very good for the exposure of this organization the exposure of a guy like Tyrese Halliburton what did you make of all of that last week yeah it was really really fascinating to see all that right like Halberton joked about it during one of his pressers. I think it was after they beat the Bucks. You know, someone asked him about, you guys won this game because your bench was so phenomenal. Like, what have, what have they meant to you this season or something like that? And he said, man, we've been talking about our bench locally all season. Like, we're a deep team, right? Like, they clearly are having to do this introduction to everyone else after, you know, clearly showing who they are here for the last year and a half. And, they earned that right to do it. It's very cool that, for you know, this is weird to say, but the Pacers were not good on national TV in the past. So to have these chances where they said, we want to play these games. Halliburton was craving that TNT game next year in Boston that they have during the regular season. They wanted more opportunities to show who they are and how good they think they can be, right? They had a bunch of marquee wins already. So to go on TNT Monday and then to go on ESPN Thursday and Saturday – and play well and play entertaining, attractive basketball, play their style, right, and look like a good team, beating the Celtics and Bucks, and you know, being down three in the fourth to the Lakers before getting their butt kicked in the final six minutes. Like, that's, that's great for them in terms of not only, you know, having that test, having that experience, but just the spotlight to grow, to introduce yourself to new fans. I think that's significant for them this season. I think it's going to be useful for them long term uh, as kind of a gauge or a turning point for their growth. And, of course, they did well to handle it, right? To, to crave that moment and then not fold when it comes, I think, is impressive. So uh, they certainly made some fans, and it was cool to see them have that spotlight they've been asking for for so long. Tony East was in Vegas uh, for the, what, I guess it would have been semifinal and final game. What did you think just generally vibe out there, in-season tournament? Um, you know, I, it, the 2 o'clock local time, I, I didn't think it was a great, yeah. great atmosphere early on. It felt a little bubblish, felt a little 18,000 hungover at times. But from someone that was there, what do you think? Yeah, it was really cool. I think, of course, it's really interesting to gauge the atmosphere for two reasons. One, uh, one of the teams in it was LA, which is about as close as you can get to Vegas in terms of our market. And two, one of the teams was the LA Lakers, right? So the buzz is going to be as big as it could possibly be from a fan perspective. Yeah, the 2 p.m. local was a little strange. I, I do think that I didn't watch the broadcast when the game was happening, obviously, but I have since. That broadcast did an awful job of like actually showing what was going on. Like There were a good amount fans at that game but in general I think the way it was set up and the fanfare of it and you know how the buzz around it was like pretty significant in Vegas like there were a lot of basketball fans there uh and around that arena and in that park for the three days and of course LeBron winning it and the Lakers taking it I think means uh, good things for the league but they were already happy with what the in-season tournament had produced before that title game Adam Silver was talking about it uh and his presser before it like it was a big deal for the league that, you know, people bought into it, players bought into it, and, and that people were willing to, at the drop of a hat, really, because no one knew who was going to be in Vegas until Tuesday, like a week ago, you know, were able to, to get out there and see those games. And, it, you know, the Pacers, of course, had the watch party in Cambridge. Like, it became a big deal 
pretty quickly, and I think the league's happy with it. It was very cool to see it in person. Yeah, for some reason, Vegas does the thing that like the Brooklyn Nets do. Their stadium is very dark. Same, some stadiums oh do that. They're very dark stadiums, so I have no idea what after like the first six rows look like in, that, in the entire stadium uh, because it seemed like they had the lights off. I know Brooklyn does that. I'm trying to think of other places uh, that do it as well. Uh, our, Tony East with us here, Payless Liquors Hotline. Tony, the Lakers are going to put up some sort of banner with the in-season tourney win, and I'm sure people will get their jokes off. Uh, LeBron, obviously, uh, you know, he, he wore the hat and he was spraying the champagne in the locker room and everything else. What do you think the Pacers would have done if they would have beat the Lakers? You think they would have put up some sort of banner there in Gamebridge? My hypothesis is exactly what the Lakers are going to do is what I thought the Pacers would have done had they won. And so I think that they would have done exactly what LA is doing, which is a, a different kind of smaller banner that's like, hey, everyone, this is a big deal, but not as big of a deal as these other ones. Um, and then do it the way like high school teams do, where you do, here's every year you win the thing, right? Because it's possible that you can win that more than once. And so it's like, one banner that you keep adding to and it's just there and it's the in-season tournament, right? I think that is a good way to do it. But I think it's really dumb to just completely ignore it. Like people were talking about, oh, you don't hang a banner for that. I'm like, yeah, I think the way that this is trending and like you saw the celebrations, right? I think those were genuine reactions and feelings from the Lakers and the cash prize helps and the pride helps. But, you know, I, I think that players are really excited about winning this thing and, you know, I've, I've said this all along since the inception of this thing. Like, it'll sound inauthentic at first because it's new and it's not a tournament people are used to. But now that the Lakers have won it and celebrated like that, like every year it will feel more real and more real and more real until eventually it's just like normalized that it's very exciting for players and, and fan bases. So it is going to be a real thing and a serious accomplishment. And so I was pro banner the whole time, and I'm glad the Lakers are doing something. And I think the Pacers would have too, but I think – making it a little less obvious or substantial than an NBA Finals banner is a smart move. Tony, last one, and easily the most important thing we've talked about on this Monday, or on this Tuesday morning, uh, Lance Stevenson is back. Lance Stevenson yes. is with <laughs> yes. the Iowa Wolves on a 10-day. Uh, you are much more equipped with, I believe at one point I told you, that you know more about the G League Mad Ants than I know about my in-laws, so you're the perfect person to ask. Uh, what does that mean for Lance Stevenson at the age of you? Did you say thirty-four, Andy, earlier? Thirty-four years old. Yeah, for Lance? Believe, yeah, 30, thirty-three. Going to be forty-four. 33? Uh, thirty-four, I believe. Yes. Uh, what does that mean for thirty-three-year-old Circus Act Lance Stevenson? <laughs> yeah, well, good for him. First of all, um, he talked very glowingly about the G League and how it helped him get back into the NBA when he was with the Pacers last time. Right? If you all, I think most will remember this. The last time he was with the Pacers in that 21-22 season down the stretch, he played for the uh, Pistons G League. Uh, maybe it was the Nuggets. I can't remember. He was with the Grand Rapids Gold. I can't remember who they're affiliated with. I think it was the Nuggets that year. They got. It doesn't matter. They got purchased by a different team. But that the G League route really helped him kind of, you know, one, show how, what he still had in the tank and how good he can be, but just like being on the map and being – you know, in people's eyes, in American basketball was significant for him getting back in the league, and a lot of factors helped him that year, you know, with the, with the weird 10 days. But he played really well when given an opportunity, right? He, he played for the Hawks before getting his chance with the Pacers. Like, he might not have gotten that if he wasn't playing very well in the G League and showing what he was still capable of. So, you know, he, he's not under contract with the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is significant. Like, any NBA team can still sign him at some point, but now he's got a chance to – play, show what he can do. Maybe it is Minnesota. They do have an open roster spot. It could be anybody, but I think that's good for him if he's trying to make an NBA comeback. And, of course, uh, fans of Indiana will now be watching the Iowa Wolves, which is a significant deal. <laughs> the fact well. that they've already played the Mad Ants is so disheartening um, <laughs> if you're looking at potential opportunities to see Lance here. And, oh, Indy. I should add something to this. The G League uh, approaching their Showcase Cup in, in Orlando when – 
you know, a lot of execs are watching the finals of that, and all the G League teams are together uh, for their finals. So joining up right before that could be significant should Iowa make it because it just gets more eyeballs on him, too, in a very direct way very quickly. As I always say, he knows more about the G League than I know about my in-laws. He is Tony East. Great, great coverage of the Pacers and much more NBA-related. Tony, I know it's been a busy uh, last week or so for you, so thank you for making some time for us. Of course. Good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me.